everyone, this is Angela Bowen from the Oh My Lanta Holy Chalupas, an unofficial Full House Fuller House podcast, and Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast. Well, today I'm bringing you another book review podcast episode. I've already talked about it books that I want to read in 2022, books I read over the holiday season, and also for Halloween. Now I'm going to talk to you about the books I've read so far in 2022. So for it's going to be a winter book review. So, let me go to my reading challenge here. You doing okay, Quinn? Okay, good. Quinn's laying on the floor in my podcast room. All right, so first one up, it's the newest book by Barbara D., a middle grade author. This is Violets Are Blue. This book came out October 12th, 2021. And I gave this a three out of five stars. I'm going to be honest here and say this was not my favorite of hers. I, I think I kind of felt that way about, um, I think, her other, I think it was like called My Life in a Fish Tank or something like that. I was not really overly impressed with that one either. And nothing to do with Barbara D's writing. This uh, stories just were just okay. All right, from the author of the acclaimed My Life in the Fish Tank and Maybe He Just Likes You comes a moving and relatable middle grade novel about secrets, family, and the power of forgiveness. 12-year-old Ren loves makeup, special effect makeup, to be exact. When she is experimenting with new looks, Ren can create a different version of herself. A girl who isn't in a sort of best friendship with someone who seems like she hates her. A girl whose parents aren't divorced and doesn't have to learn to like her new stepmom. So when Ren and her mom move to a new town for a fresh start, she is cautiously optimistic. And things seem to fall into place when Ren meets potential friends and gets selected as a makeup artist for her school's upcoming production of Wicked. Only Ren's mom isn't doing so well. She's taking a lot of naps, starts snapping at Ren for no reason, and always seems to be sick. And what's worse... Ren keeps getting hints that things are going well at her new job at the hospital where her mom is a nurse. And after opening night disaster leads to a heartbreaking discovery, Ren realizes that her mother has a serious problem, a problem that can't be wiped away or covered up. After all the pro progress she's made, can Ren start over again with her devastating new normal? And will she ever be able to heal the broken trust with her mom? I, I gotta say, you know, middle grade books really do, especially Barbara D. She really, her books are really focused on problems that, you know, kids face today. And you know, big issues like that. Alright, the next book, <clears throat> I'm not going to say it's a dystopian book or a, you know, post-apocalyptic book, something along those lines. So, this book, also a middle grade book, 96 Miles, this is by J.L. Esplin, E-S-P-L-I-N. This book came out February 11th of 2020. 
I gave this book a 5 out of 5 stars. Because even though it is a short read, this book was, it really held my attention big time. Dad always said if things get desperate, it's okay to drink the water in the toilet. I never thought it would come to that. I thought I'd sooner die than let one drop of toilet water touch my lips. Yet here I am, kneeling before a porcelain throne, holding a tin mug for scooping in one hand and my half-gallon canteen in the other. The Lockwood brothers are supposed to be able to survive anything. Their dad, a hardcore survivalist, has stockpiled enough food and water on their isolated Nevada ranch to last four months. But when they are robbed at gunpoint during a massive blackout while their dad is out of town, John and Stu, short for Stuart, must walk 96 miles in the stark desert sun to get help. And they have only three days time before their time runs out. And there's a reason for that. I don't want to spoil it because this reveal is, re is revealed more than halfway through the book actually even closer to towards the end of the book like the last like maybe 50 pages and yeah there's a reason they need to get there and they only have three days and when I found out what that reason was why they were in such a desperate need to get to this place so fast I was like wow thank you for putting that in the book because we need more representation in that category. I'm not going to say what that is because, again, I don't want to spoil it for you. But I really, really liked this book. I thought it was done very, very well. It looks like this is the only book that the author has written so far. So I'm looking this, yeah, this came out over two years ago. And I'm looking forward to, if the author does write another book, I would definitely look into reading it. So, with February, I read a lot of books by black authors for Black History Month. The first one, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. This is a co-written book by Kimberly Jones and Gilly Siegel. This book came out... September 6th, 2019. I gave this one a five-star rating because I really was hooked from the first page. An, NAA, an NAACP Image Award nominee, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, follows two teen girls, one black, one white, who have to confront their own assumptions about racial inequality as they rely on each other to get through the violent race riot that has set their city on fire with civil unrest. Lena has her killer style, her awesome boyfriend, and a plan. She knows she's going to make it big. Campbell, on the other hand, is just trying to keep her head down and get through the year at her new school. When both girls attend the Friday night football game, what neither expects is for everything to descend into sudden mass chaos. Chaos born from violence and hate. Chaos that unexpectedly throws them together. <clears throat> they aren't friends. They hardly understand the other's point of view. But none of that matters when the city is up in flames and they only have each other to rely on if they're going to survive the night. This book is perfect for sparking conversations about prejudice and the racial tension that exists in America. Parents and educators looking for multicultural and African-American books for teens, fans of Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, who wrote The Hate You Give, Nick Stone, who wrote 
Dear Martin and Jason Reynolds, who wrote Long Way Down. Those are all amazing, amazing books, by the way. The next book, and it's funny. Okay, so going back to I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, I just, like I said, I thought this book was really well written. We, we have a dual narrative here by two authors, and just... Yeah, it's like, it starts off at a, at a, Campbell is, just moved in with her dad, I believe, I think her mom has passed away, and she's starting her, I believe it's, is it senior year, at her, this new school, so she doesn't really know anyone yet, and this booster club, what, or, I'm trying to think, with the athletic director, te slash teacher, Asks her, hey, can you run the concession stand at Friday night's football game? So it's going to be you and, like, two other people. And then all of a sudden, it's just, like, the one person she's working with is on his phone. He's not paying attention. There's a long line of people. Someone bumps somebody in line, and then words are slung. Fists are thrown. It erupts in just a sea of violence. And it's just a matter of, you know, this concession stand is only so big. And the one guy, I guess, that Lena was working with just gets the heck out of here. Like, oh, you're on your own. Bye. So, and just, so that's where Campbell meets Lena, who comes in and kind of helps her out. And it's just a matter of them, you know, sticking together because it's like this doesn't just stop at the football game because it started there. It goes from this football game, the school, and erupts into the town of just violence and rioting and looting businesses. One business, of course, is her father's failing hardware store that she wants to check on. Like, my dad's down there. I need to make sure he's okay. So, yeah. It's just honest. It's it's just so good. So yes, yeah, so the next book I wanted to talk about is Dreamland Burning. I actually have had this book. This book was released February twenty first, twenty seventeen. Yes, I've had this book probably since it came out, and I could not find where I put my copy, my hardcover copy of it. It's most likely somewhere in the storage unit, and one of those totes buried somewhere. And I'm like, I'm just gonna buy it. I believe, I, let me check, but I think on Amazon, it's still, this paperback copy of this book is like $4.99, I think. So, if you get a chance, definitely check this book out, because it is amazing. To the, yes, it is still, it's normally $10.99, it's $4.99 on Amazon. Definitely check this book out. I got a copy for my mother-in-law. I also took a copy, you know, bought a copy for myself since I couldn't find my copy. And then I bought another copy to take to work. So that way, if anyone else that I work with likes to read, you know, and someone clearly took the book to read. So because it's not where I put it in the break room. So anyway. All right. So, yes, Dreamland Burning. This is by Jennifer L-A-T-H-A-M. And I gave this one five stars. I'm going to read my little review, and then I'm going to read 
You know, no, I'm going to read the synopsis and then read my little review. i got to take something to drink because you can probably tell my voice is getting really raw. Mm. Okay, here we go. Some bodies won't stay buried. Some stories need to be told. When 17-year-old Rowan Chase finds a skeleton on her family's property, she has no idea that investigating the brutal century-old murder will lead to a summer of painful discoveries about the past, the present, and herself. One hundred years earlier, a single violent encounter propels 17-year-old Will Tillman into racial firestorm into a racial firestorm in a country rife with violence against blacks and a hometown segregated by jim crow will must make her choices on a painful journey towards self-discovery and face his inner demons in order to do what's right the night tulsa burns yes they are talking about the tulsa race riots in greenwood oklahoma in 1921 another really good book that covers that time of history is angel of greenwood i would have read that i believe in january or february of 2021 and that book was amazing too i love honestly authors i i give you a round of applause honestly because the way that authors build these characters, they build these storylines, and they make these characters come to life, and you grow attached to the characters, even though it's not a real person. They're not real people, but in your heart, in your mind, you're visualizing what you're reading, and you're getting attached to these people. You want the best for them. You want, you know, you want the the enemy, the bully, to get it in the end, and it just... But here's my review. This book was amazing. I can't believe I let this book sit on my shelf for over five years before reading. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, I would pick it up, try to read it, and not get into it. The story, the characters, all of it will stay with me. This is a part of history that needs to be read and talked about. A hundred percent, guys. A hundred percent. Definitely check that out. Okay, the next book. This is this would have been my second book of Tiffany D. Jackson. I pretty much now have read all of her books. I'm awaiting her newest book, which comes out in September, The Weight of Blood. I can actually read the summary on that when I'm done here. So, allegedly, this book came out on January 24th, 2017. And this book... Yeah, I, I didn't get it right when it came out, but I know this book has sat on my shelf, had sat on my shelf for a very, very long time. I think when I read the summary, I was a little like, uh, you know, as far as subject matter in the book, how is that going to be? I mean, I've read Ellen Hopkins books and her teen YA books can be some levels of harshness. Whoa, but that's just how she writes. You're right, real. So, Mary B. Addison killed a baby. Allegedly. She didn't say much in that first interview with detectives, and the media filled in the only blanks that mattered. A white baby has died while under the care of a church-going black woman and her nine-year-old daughter. The public convicted Mary, and the jury made it official. But did she do it? 
she wouldn't say. Mary survived six years in baby jail before being dumped in a group home. The house isn't really a home, in quotes. No place where you fear for your life can be considered a home. Home is Ted, who she meets on assignment at a nursing home. There wasn't a point to setting the record straight before, but now she's got Ted and their unborn child to think about. When the state threatens to take her baby, Mary must find the voice to fight her past, and her fate lies in the hands of the one person she distrusts the most, her mama. No one knows the real mama, but who really knows the real Mary? Yeah, the, the book honestly really makes you kind of question the intentions, the motive of, and, but you get to hearing, you know, Mary's side of things and everything. And it keeps cutting back to interviews with detectives interviewing Mary at certain points, in her, you know, in the beginning, when it happened, when she was nine, and just, you know, evaluations that were done by teachers saying, oh, she's a bright girl, she's so smart. She's really, you know, advanced for her age and everything like that. And just like, oh, I, I don't think she ever, she would not be capable of this. But, you know, we also learn about her, her mom and everything like that, too. And just, you know, she's 16 years old. This girl's 16, 17 years old, 17, 18, I don't know. Well, she's not 18 yet because she's in that group home. Because I think, isn't it how, like, once you're 18, you're considered a legal adult and you kind of age out? So, yeah. And I'm going to say right now, the ending really made me kind of scratch my head and kind of reconsider the character again. And like, like did, I, did I read this right? Is this, what's the, it's almost like wondering like, hey, did the author just pull the rug out from underneath my feet? Because, uh, <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> but, it's, it's good. It is so good. This book, it's just, ugh. this book, there are characters in this book that you definitely, some of them you root for, some of them you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it happened to you. Some of them you're like, oh, I can't stand this person. Someone just take them away. Okay, so the definitely I would recommend that. The next one by Tiffany D. Jackson, White Smoke. This actually is her latest release. This came out September 14th, 2021. I saw it in a Target. I also, I gave this one five stars. So, I, I like the comparisons it gives us. Oh, again, my mouth is just, ugh. Mm, okay. <clears throat> yeah, the comparisons that it puts with this for describing this book. The Haunting of Hill House, you know, I've never seen the movie, never read the book, if there is a book, meets Get Out, you know, by Jordan Peele, that movie, amazing movie. In this chilling YA psychological thriller and modern take, speaking of Jordan Peele, do you know there's a new movie coming out by him? I think it's this year called, it's called Gone? I think. I, I, either way, it looks amazing. Okay, so. In this chilling YA psychological thriller, a modern take on the classic haunted house story from New York Times bestselling author Tiffany D. Jackson. 
Marigold is running from ghosts. The phantoms of her old life keep haunting her, but a move with their newly blended family from their small California beach town to the embattled Midwestern city of Cedarville might be the fresh start she needs. Her mom has accepted a new job with the Sterling Foundation that comes with a free house, one that Mary now has to share with her bratty 10-year-old stepsister, Piper. The renovated picture-perfect home on Maple Street, sitting between dilapidated houses, surrounded by wary neighbors, has its secrets. That's only half the problem. Household items vanish, doors open on their own, lights turn off, shadows walk past rooms, voices can be heard in the walls, and there's a foul smell seeping through the vents only Mary seems to notice. Worse, Piper keeps talking about a friend who wants Mary gone, but quote-unquote running from ghosts is just a metaphor, right? As the house closes in, Mary learns that the danger isn't limited to Maple Street. Cedarville has its secrets, too, and secrets always find their way through the cracks. So, when the, uh, the description here says blended family, we basically have Marigold, her 14-year-old brother, whose name, I'm sorry, is slipping from me, and Piper, her 10-year-old stepsister, her mom you know, married a white man with his 10-year-old daughter painting the butt piper. This kid is just, ugh, can't stand her. <laughs> so, yes, it's definitely, this is a good book. It really keeps you guessing. It keeps you on your toes. When you think the story's going one way, it totally flip-flops and goes the other way. So, when it's like when you think you got it figured out, like, it kind of throws a wrench in to there like well wait a minute here all right so the next book is a middle grade soft place to land by janae marks she is the author of from the desk of zoe washington which if you didn't know has a sequel which is going to be coming out in 2023 on air with zoe washington i'm so excited for this book now i'm gonna be honest here i mean i like the book i gave it five stars but and i gave it five stars because I, I love the author and i love you know the character and stuff the characters were fine it was the story just it felt like maybe it needed a smidge more like it was just there may be a couple key points that they, they focused on and everything like that, whereas the main character from the desk of Zoe Washington had a, had a main goal of, you know, she was writing to her, her biological father who was incarcerated and, you know, trying to help him with a crime he, he didn't commit. She's trying to help him with, you know, prove his innocence and everything like that. With a soft place to land which I'm just going to read the synopsis right now. Joy Taylor has always believed home is where her family is, but then her dad lost his job and suddenly home became a tiny apartment within walls, shared bedrooms, and a place for tense arguments between mom and dad. Hardest of all, Joy doesn't have her music to escape through anymore. Without enough funds, her dreams of becoming a great pianist and one day a film score composer have been put on hold. That's, I love the fact that she loves listening to movie scores on her iPod or phone or whatever. I thought that was really cool. I, I really like the, I've never seen a character 
you know, that being their goal in life is wanting to be a pianist to be able to make their own movie score one day. <clears throat> okay, so a film score, her dream of one day becoming a film score composer have been put on hold. One bright light comes in the form of a friendly new neighbor, Nora. When she learns about Joy's need to get away sometimes, Nora lets Joy in on the complex's best-kept secret, the hideout, a cozy refuge that only the kids know about. And it's in this hi little hideout that Joy starts exchanging messages on the wall with another kid in the building who also seems to be struggling until, abruptly, they stop writing back. Joy can't shake the feeling that someone might be in trouble. She has to find out who this mystery writer is, fast. But before managing... But between managing a new dog-walking business with Nora, keeping on a brave face for her little sister, and worrying about her parents' marriage, Joy isn't sure how to keep her own head above water. From the critically acclaimed author of From the Desk of Zoe Washington, Janae Marks, comes the story of a resilient young girl learning to adjust to, unexpected, to the unexpected with grace as she reshaped her meaning of home. Yes, they actually downgraded from a house to an apartment where she had a piano which sadly had to be sold because it wasn't going to go to the apartment with them. They also, are, the parents are struggling with money. The dad is out of work. He's looking for jobs and unfortunately they just, they have not been panning out. He even has a brother, her Joy's father does, who has a construction business, and it's kind of like piecework and stuff like that, but that's another thing that Joy's parents fight about, especially, you, you just seem like you're not interested in finding a, another job right now, why aren't you looking hard, why aren't you just taking whatever you can find to have some income, and so... Yeah, that's just, that's, and, and the thing is, Joy is taking it upon herself, you know, looking after her little sister, but she's hiding in her own feelings to protect her sister. She knows, like, if I'm upset about this, my little sister's going to be upset about this, and I have to put on a brave face for her. There's also the elderly neighbor who has a little dog, and that's what kind of kickstarts Nora and Joy's desire to start a dog walking business because nor um joy figures that because they can't get or rent another piano so she's got to afford lessons she had lessons with a teacher and unfortunately those lessons also had to stop so she figures by doing the dog walking business and stuff and making money she'll be able to pay for lessons on her own and won't have to bother her parents for money since things are really hard right now. And I liked, honestly, I, I liked that aspect. I thought it was cute. I really liked the uh, Nora introduces her to the other kids in the building. They in introduce her to the hideout, which is just a place to kind of get away from everything. The one thing I did not like was this big supposed mystery about who the mystery writer is, writing messages between back and forth with Joy. It really irritated me that it was so... I thought it was like the big reveal. It was going to be a big reveal. 
that there's going to be more to it. Like, this person is, like, in trouble. Like, why did they stop writing? And when the big reveal came along, I was extremely disappointed because I wanted more. I'm like, are you serious? But, of course, I mean, the person clearly who's writing is going to have to be in the building and going to this hideout and know of this hideout. So, but she's like, well, it's got to be one of the kids that is coming to this place. So, you know, it's just a power of deducing who the person is who's writing, you know, passing messages between, you know, enjoying her. But, I mean, overall, I did like the book. I just, I guess, I just, I wanted more to the story. It just felt like between you know, her parents fighting money struggles, adjusting to living in an apartment versus being in a house and having your own space. And then the dog walking business and the hideout and making new friends and stuff like that. It just, I don't know. I just felt like all these little aspects didn't add up to like the stakes of from the desk of Zoe Washington. I felt like the stakes were higher there. I, I, I guess if you could call it that. Because the character in that book, you know, she's known her stepdad pretty much her whole life. And then, you know, she does. her mom doesn't like to talk about her biological father. And the fact that the character, the young girl, is writing to her incarcerated father and everything like that. And it's just, she's got to keep it a secret because I don't want to upset mom. And, you know, I love my dad and everything like that. But, you know, my, you know, the father I've known my whole life, basically. So, I just, yeah. I'm looking forward to the sequel. Let's just say that. I'm looking forward to On Air with Zoe Washington, which I think is her starting up a podcast, which I honestly love seeing. Are you okay, Connie? Okay, she's just cleaning her foot. Um, I like seeing podcasting representation in books, too, since I'm a podcaster. All right. This next book. Uh, I honestly don't want to even spend time with this one. It's called Any Sign of Life by Ray Carson. I gave it two. I wanted to give it one out of five stars because it was a book like, oh, you know, this one is post-apocalyptic. And it just, it was not good. And by not good, I meant it could have been a hundred thousand times better. It was, I was so disappointed in it. And it was a pretty thick book, too. It's talking about, and it even mentions how this is so far into the future that coronavirus is a thing of the past. I'm going to read the synopsis here and let you guys all decide for yourselves if you want to read this book. This book actually did come out, yes, October 12, 2021. Let's just say I've seen books like this done a hundred thousand times better. When a teenage girl thinks she may be the only person left alive in her town, maybe in the whole world, she must rely on hope, trust, and her own resilience. Paige Miller is determined to take her basketball team to the state championship, maybe even beyond. But as March Madness heats up, Paige falls deathly ill. Days later, she wakes up attached to an IV and learns that the whole world has perished. 
everyone she loves, and all of her dreams for the future, they're gone. But Paige is a warrior, so she pushes through her fear and her grief. And as she gets through each day, scrounging for food, for shelter, for safety, Paige encounters a few more young survivors. Together, they might stand a chance, but as they struggle to endure their new... What are you doing, miss? Exactly. <laughs> you silly cat. Uh, she... Together, they might stand a chance, but as they struggle to endure their new reality, they learn that the apocalypse did not happen by accident and that there are worse things than being alone. Okay, I'm gonna... Okay, so... The first decent chunk of the book is okay. It's great. And, well, great is putting it mildly, honestly. Um, the, the last half of the book, I'm just like, can this book be over with already? I mean, I already put so much time into the book. It's like, I didn't want to DNF it, which is do not finish, did not finish. So I'm just like, come on, are you, oh my gosh. It was not good. And when I say I've read other books that are a lot better, I'm putting the Gone series by Michael Grant, even though it deals with kids having superpowers or something like that. I just, and that's a six book series. That one's good. Ashfall by Mike Mullen is good. Uh, Monument 14, that's another one where it's like kids, you know, no adults, you know, kids are surviving on their own. Monument 14 is by Emmy Laburn, which I really, really like. It's a, That's a trilogy there. So um, those ones I would definitely recommend. I know I've probably read other ones as well that are just, you know, post-apocalyptic type things. But I just, that, oof, I'm sorry, but no. All right, so the next book I read, of course, Tiffany D. Jackson, Let Me Hear a Rhyme. This book came out May 21st, 2019. In the standalone novel, Tiffany D. Jackson tells the story of three Brooklyn teens who plot to turn their murdered friend into a rap major rap star by pretending he is still alive. Biggie Smalls was right. Things done changed. But that doesn't mean that Q-A-D-I-R and Jarrell are okay letting their best friend Steph's tracks lie forgotten in his bedroom after he's killed. Not when his beats could turn any bedside corner into a celebration. Not after years of having each other's backs. Enlisting the help of Steph's younger sister Jasmine, Quidar and Jarrell come up with a new plan to promote... Steph's music under a new rap name, The Architect. Soon, everyone in Brooklyn is dancing to Steph's voice, but then his mixtape catches the attention of a hot-headed music rep, and with just hours on the clock, the trio must race to prove Steph's talent from beyond the grave. Now, as the pressure and danger of keeping their secret grows, Quadir, Jarrell, and Jasmine are forced to confront the truth of what happened about what happened to Steph. Only each has something to hide, and with everything riding on Steph's fame, together they need to decide what they stand for before they lose everything they've worked so hard to hold on to, including each other. Th that book was also amazing. It's also historical fiction, because it, it takes place... I gotta put my do not disturb... Why do I have all these... Oh, all this stuff's been delivered. Okay. 
another parcel wonderful um <laughs> sorry guys let me put on the do not disturb i only had it on because uh my husband was calling let me turn it off Clint, what are you doing over there <laughs> um yeah i really liked that that book i believe took place in what 97 98 so of course it is considered historical fiction all right the next one is punching the air this is by eb I-B-I Zaboy, uh, it's Z-O-B-O-I, and then Yusef Salam, which I just, in uh, February, watched When They See Us, which is a Netflix miniseries based on the Central Park Five, the boys that were, you know, let me read this and then I can go back to that. So, all right. So, Punching the Air. This is actually a novel in verse. Came out September 1st, 2020. All right. So, from the award-winning bestseller author Abi Zaboy and prison reform activist Yusuf Salam of the Exonerated Five comes a powerful YA novel in verse about a boy who is wrongly incarcerated, perfect for fans of Jason Reynolds, Walter Dean Myers, and Elizabeth Acevedo. The story that I thought was my life didn't start on the day I was born. Amal Shahid has always been an artist and a poet, but even in a diverse art school, he's been as disruptive and unmotivated by a biased system. Then one fateful night, an incarceration in a gentrifying neighborhood escalates into tragedy. Boys just being boys turns out to be true only when those boys are white. The story is that the story that I think will be my life starts today. Suddenly, at just 16 years old, Amal's bright future is upended. He is convicted of a crime he didn't commit and sent to prison. Despair and rage almost sink him until he turns to the refuge of his words, his art. This never should have been his story, but can he change it? With spellbinding, spellbinding lyricism, award-winning author Evie Zobe, Zaboy and prison reform activist Yusuf Salam tell a moving and deeply profound story about how one boy is able to maintain his humanity and fight for the truth in a system designed to strip him of both. This book was also very incredible. It was very beautifully written. So let me see us. Okay, here we go. Okay, so it's four episodes. It came out in 2019. Five teens from Harlem became trapped in a nightmare when they're falsely accused of a brutal attack in Central Park based on the true story. So, this other synopsis goes a little deeper. In 1989, a jogger was assaulted and raped in New York's Central Park, and five young people were subsequently charged with the crime. The quintet labeled the Central Park Five maintained its innocence and spent years fighting the convictions, hoping to be exonerated. This limited series spans a quarter of a century from when the teens are first questioned about the incident in the spring of 89, going through their exoneration in 2002, and ultimately the settlement reached with the city of New York in 2014. The cast is full of Emmy nominees and winners including Michael Kenneth Williams, John Leguizamo, Felicity Huffman, and Blair Underwood. Oscar-nominated and Emmy winner Ava DuVernay 
co-wrote and directed the four episodes. Yes, this is so incredible. It is it, the, to watch this was so so informative. Another piece of history. Women of the Movement. That was another one I watched in January. That was about the brutal killing of Emmett Till, which is on Hulu and let the world see. So let the world see or let the people see. Um, that is a documentary from Emmett Till's mother, Mammy Till Mobley, and that is very informative too. So okay, so going back here to the next book. I actually got this book from the library. This is the uh, other Tiffany D. Jackson book. It's called Grown. It came out September 15th, 2020. I gave this one five stars. A lot of these books I've been given five stars because they are just that incredible. Author Tiffany D. Jackson delivers another ripped-from-the-headlines mystery that exposes horrific secrets hiding behind the limelight and embarrassing embraces the power of a young woman's voice when legendary r&b artist corey fields spots enchanted jones in an audition her dreams of being a famous singer take flight until enchanted wakes up with blood on her hands and zero memory of the previous night who killed corey fields before there was a dead body enchanted's dreams had turned into a nightmare because behind corey's charm and star power was a controlling dark side now he's dead, the police are at the door, and all signs point to Enchanted. The one thing the author definitely wants you to understand in the author's notes, and just in general, is that this story has nothing to do with R. Kelly, the music, music, musician's case, the rapper, whatever he has nothing to do with any of that stuff. I didn't really understand that whole stuff about R. Kelly. I didn't really pay too much attention to it but yeah she goes on record just like this was a new story taken from the headlines but again it has nothing to do with R. Kelly's trial with his case it's not based on that all right the next book is a historical fiction book because it's set in 1992 this is called The Black Kids this is by Christina Hammonds Reed I also gave this one five stars because it's amazing another point in history that I really only heard snippets of growing up because at the time that this happened it's probably around nine going on ten. Ashley Bennett and her friends, yeah, this is about the Rodney the Rodney King trial. The beating of Rodney King. So let me and the LA riots. Ashley Bennett and her friends are living the charmed life. It's the end of senior year and they're spending more time at the beach than in the classroom. They can already feel the sunny days and endless possibilities of summer. Everything changes one afternoon in April, when four LAPD officers are acquitted after beating a black man named Rodney King half to death. Suddenly, Ashley's not just one of the girls. She's one of the black kids. As violent protests engulf LA and the city burns, Ashley tries to continue on as if life were normal. Even as her self-destructive sister gets dangerously involved in the riots. Even as the model black family facade her wealthy and prominent parents have built starts to crumble, even as her best friends help spread a rumor that could completely derail the future of her classmate and fellow black kid, LaShawn Johnson. 
With her world splintering around her, Ashley, along with the rest of L.A., is left to question, who is the us and who is the them? The, oh, my goodness. It's so, so good, I tell you. The last book I read for winter... Actually, I'm sorry. No, this is actually going to continue because spring, the first day of spring isn't until... It doesn't even show on my calendar. Are you serious? Why wouldn't it say the show the first day of spring? Isn't it normally on the 21st? Well, the vernal equinox... I, maybe that's it. It says it's on Sunday the 20th of March. <laughs> Just say the first day of spring, calendar. My gosh. I should check my other calendars here and see if they say the same thing. So, of course. Okay, the next one I read, middle grade book, of course. Ellie Schwartz's Dear Student. I've been looking forward to this one. It's so good. The way that she writes, because I've read all her other books, it's like a warm, comforting blanket that you just want to snuggle into. So, this book came out just last month, February 15th of 2022. Okay, and of course I gave it five stars. When Autumn becomes the secret voice of the advice column in her middle school newspaper. Sorry guys, I'm so sorry. All right, let me start over. When Autumn becomes the secret voice of the advice column in her middle school newspaper, she is faced with a dilemma. She Can she give fair advice to everyone, including her friends, while keeping her identity a secret? Starting middle school is rough for Autumn after her one and only BFF moves to California. Uncertain and anxious, she struggles to connect with her new classmates. The two potential friends she meets could not be more different. Bold Logan. And the thing is, with this, I didn't know, I mean, you can name your children any, anything, but when I first read the synopsis, Logan, I immediately thought she was friends with two boys. Lo no, Logan, in this case, is a girl. Okay. Bold Logan, who has big ideas, and Quiet Cooper, who's a bit mysterious. But Autumn has a dilemma. What do you do when the new friends you make don't like each other? When Autumn is picked to be the secret voice of the Dear Student Letters in the Hillview newspaper, she finds herself smack in the middle of a problem with Logan and Cooper on opposite sides. But before Autumn can figure out what to do, the unthinkable happens. Her secret identity as Dear Student is threatened. Now it's time for Autumn to find her voice, her courage, and follow her heart, even when it's divided. Okay, so let me give you a little more insight into this. Autumn and her young sister, whose name I'm blanking on at the moment, sorry about that, um, they live with their mother above the veterinary practice that she practices at. They actually had to move from their home because her father, her parents are not divorced, uh, they're not separated, but her father decided to do a two-year commitment to the Peace Corps, so he's over you know, helping, you know, a school of children, you know, reading, writing, cooking, all that stuff. So he occasionally, you know, jumps in with, you know, Zoom calls and all that stuff. And it's just really hard on Autumn because 
she's thinking that her father chose to do this over being with his family. And she has to start middle school with without her best friend nearby, which, yeah. When you really only kind of have the one good friend and then they move away, it makes it really hard to try to make another one, especially if you ha have had that best friend for, like, basically your whole life. Of characters when it comes to animals, too. She has a guinea pig named Spud. <laughs> because he's, he's shaped like a potato. There's also... Superman, the iguana, that, that's how she meets Cooper, because he accidentally rides over the iguana's tail. And this is all basically before the first day of school. This is on the first day of school, early morning. So she takes the iguana to her mom's veterinary practice, thinks the tail might be broken, and it's like, where did this iguana come from? Because I don't know anyone around here that owns one. It's kind of rare to see one. So, yeah, she dubs. They're coming up with a name for the iguana. Like, ah, how about Superman? Okay. <laughs> so it turns out she doesn't, I don't think she learns Cooper's name until she finds out that they're in the same class together. She thinks, because the, the place that they're at, they get a lot of tourists, so she assumes, like, oh, he's just, like, a, a summer tourist or however. So. Because it's really cool because Autumn and her little sister share a birthday. Her little six-year-old sister. And I just think that, because they have, like, a conjoined birthday party. Right, Clem? <clears throat> So the English teacher every year picks one person from a grade, whether it's 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, to be the Dear Student columnist. And the thing is with that, it's completely top secret. You can't tell anybody if you're picked or not because that's just that's how it's got to be. So Autumn, we also get to read a little bit. She's a story writer, so we get to read some of her short story that she's working on, and it's really, really good, by the way. And... Everyone in English class has to share, like, a short story that they're, you know, that they're working on. And because Autumn is so good at story writing and everything like that, and she's great at giving advice. So, Mr. Baker, the English teacher, picks her to be the dear student. And, of course, you know, she can't tell it. You know, even the new girl that she meets... Logan, who's always wearing different, like, she's had, like, umpteen pairs of glasses. And the other thing about their, uh, Logan's mom is an environmentalist, always trying to save the world one casualty at a time, whether it's, you know, saving animals from being tested, uh, you know, with makeup and stuff like that, like, uh, this new cosmetic factory that sets up shop in Autumn's town. Logan also, like her mom, likes to work with causes, and this one comes at right, the, just, just the right time. Beautiful You, a cosmetics company that is testing their products on animals. 
Logan is 100% against it. Of course, now we have Cooper on the other side of this because his mom actually moved herself and her son there so that way she could take this job. She's been having issues, you know, trouble finding employment after his dad had walked out on them many, many years ago. So it's just him and his mom. So, of course, he's like, I don't want my mom to lose my job when, I'm trying to blink, <laughs> I'm sorry guys. You know, people are talking about doing marches, about, you know, it's inhumane to test makeup products on animals because his dog, Cooper's dog that he just got named Max got really sick eating something he shouldn't have and we don't know exactly what it is and of course Autumn right away assumes like oh it's like makeup or something like your mom brought home some makeup from the makeup factory that she works at and he's like no 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 it's not that it's it's something else so yeah he doesn't like the idea like his mom could be out of work again she could lose her job we do see Autumn writing the, you know, answers back, replies back to these people that are coming up with questions for the Dear Student column. And I'm going to say, honestly, I did not care for Logan at all. I didn't like her. I thought she was pushy and overbearing. Always like, oh, Autumn, we should coordinate what we're going to wear together. Oh, Autumn, we're going to go to the dance together. She's too demanding. I'm like, that would make me not... When I'm looking for a friend, I certainly don't want someone who's pushy, someone who's controlling, someone who's demanding. I'm not into that kind of stuff. That's honestly why I'm very selective with people I choose to be friends with. Overall, like I said, I really, really enjoyed Dear Student, and I look forward to future books from Ellie Swartz. The next book I read, of course, and I've heard... Nothing but good, amazing, wonderful things about this book. The Chance to Fly by Allie Stroker and Stacy David Davidovitz. Um, this book came out in 2021. I I thought it came out like last summer, or last fall, because there isn't a release date on Goodreads. All right, so it says. A middle-grade novel about 14-year-old Nat Beacon, a Broadway super fan who happens to use a wheelchair in the summer she overcomes fears to turn her fandom into stardom. This was such a... I loved the kids from Broadway Bounders, the theater group that she joins. It's just so... It was just so refreshing. Yeah, she goes from being a California girl to moving to New Jersey for... Her, her parents, each, uh, her mom's new job, I believe. And, of course, she has to leave her best bestie behind, which is really, really hard. And it's summer, so school hasn't started yet. And her dad, for the longest time, has had her in wheelchair racing, like when she was in California. And he tries to get her to, you know, get back into that here in New Jersey. And, of course, Natalie is not really that impressed with the, the team. She doesn't even meet the other kids. She just meets the coach, who is not that impressed. She's just not that impressive at all. She's not really that friendly, either. 
I'll be honest, I really, I don't really watch many musicals. I mean, if you call The Greatest Showman a musical, I definitely, I saw the movie. I really, really liked that. Um, she also has, Natalie has her dog, I almost called him Starbucks, Warbucks after, you know, Daddy Warbucks, Warbucks from the Annie musical. He also, lo of course, loves musicals, is just a, a obsessed with musicals, knows everything about them. And of course, from California to New Jersey, she's been playing, she musicaled her parents out. Let's just go that far with the music that she was playing. And she does have a couple wheelchairs. One, in fact, that she, I think, is mainly in for the majority of the book is called Peaches. And, yeah, the house that they move into is, you know, really nice, too. The counters are kind of low, so that way, you know, she doesn't have to reach too high to get to stuff. And, of course, her parents' bedroom, they basically share a conjoined bathroom. So, of course, privacy and whatnot for Natalie, because she is a teenager and stuff like that. So she's like, oh, my goodness. Because yeah, at some point, it's like you don't want your parents to roam too, too close to you. Like, you, you're getting older, you have your own life, you kind of want your privacy and all that. So, her dad drops her off, and she sees a sign at the JCC, which I think might be like a junior college or something, for auditions for Broadway Bounders, for the production of Wicked, and she meets all these cast of characters, all of them, so many. And there's Hudson... There's Ray, there's Malik, there's... Savannah I wasn't a huge fan of, I'll say that. Um, there's Fig, there's there's just so, so many. And they're just so fun and inviting and accepting of her. And I really, really like, like that. She found, you know, she found her group. She found her, you know, friends and everything like that. And she even has a crush on Malik and... Turns out he kind of has a crush on her, too. Savannah, like I said, I wasn't a fan of her. She was too, honestly, in your face. And, I mean, she also had had, uh, had a thing for Malik. So she's trying to use Natalie to, like, oh, ask Malik if he likes me or this and that. And it's just, uh, I just did not care for Savannah at all. Of course, something happens with the theater. And the production is just shut down. You know, this is during the summertime. The people that were in charge, the adults that were responsible for putting the show on, the casting director, the, uh, you know, all those people are just like, hey, we're doing other things. Go be kids. Hang out this summer. Just laze about. Do what you do. We'll maybe pick this up in another year, maybe next summer or something. So now that the production has been canceled, Natalie's like, wait a minute, you know, this was my chance to be able to you know, prove to my parents and, you know, myself that I can, that I can do this, that I can be, you know, a star and, you know, be on stage and everything and, you know, doing this musical. She's worked so hard and Natalie's put so much into this that she kind of rallies the kids, like, just because the place that we originally had is no more doesn't mean that we can't keep the show going. Because then, you know, the other kids, they all gather at Natalie's place and just say, well, so-and-so dropped out. This person is now unavailable. So how are we going to pull this off? We have no money. We don't have a place to, 
rehearse. We don't have any of this stuff. So the kids band together. They come up with, you know, ways to help, you know, put the show on and this, all this stuff is just so, so cool. And I really, really, I love this book. I love the characters. Honestly, I love the cover design too. It's really, really great. So definitely check that book out. And the book I'm currently reading, which I will tell you about once I finish, it is called New From Here. It is by Kelly, I say it again, um, she is the author of Front Desk. Front Desk currently has three books out. Let me uh, get them up here real quick. Sorry, guys, I'm promoting dead air here. <laughs> okay, front desk. Hold on. Because I looked, and there's a fourth book coming out. And I still, I got to reread the first one, so I got to read the second and third one. So, yeah, we got, there we go. We have front desk. The second book is Three Keys. The third book is Room to Dream. And then the fourth book is called Key Player, and it has the character Mia kicking around a soccer ball. So I'm just, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to tell you what new from here is about. It actually literally just came out on March 1st. And I was at Barnes and Noble as soon as they opened so I could pick up a copy. All right. So here we go. An Asian American boy fights to keep his family together and stand up to racism during the initial outbreak of the coronavirus. When the coronavirus hits Hong Kong, 10 year old Knox Wee Evans his mom makes a last-minute decision to move him and his siblings back to California, where they think they will be safe. Suddenly, Knox has two days to prepare for an international move and for leaving his dad, who has to stay to work. At his new school in California, Knox struggles with being the new kid. His classmates think that because he's from Asia, he must have brought over the virus. At home, mom just got fired and is panicking over the loss of health insurance. And dad doesn't know, dad doesn't even know when he'll see them again since the flights have been canceled and everyone struggles with Knox's blurting things out problem. So when they say blurting things out problem, I'm guessing it very well could be Tourette's. Why can't they just call it that? Why do they say a blurting things out problem? I mean, if it is in fact Tourette's, then call it Tourette's. We don't kind of like stumble and bounce around the word because we're afraid of calling something what it is. As racism skyrockets during COVID-19, Knox tries to stand, to stand up to hate while finding his place in his new country. Can you belong if you're feared? Can you protect if you're new? And how do you keep a family together when you're oceans apart? Sometimes when the world is spinning out of control, the best way to get through it is to embrace our own lovable uniqueness. And I just started reading this today. I'm like on chapter four. And it is such... Her writing, Kelly's writing, is just amazingly beautiful. All right, so... My thoughts on New From Here by Kelly Yang. I finished the book over the weekend, and I gotta say, it was amazing. It was so amazing. I do want to apologize for just jumping to conclusions that the character Knox, the main character, that he had Tourette's just based on me reading a blurting out problem. No, he has ADHD. And the author wrote this book based on her experience in 
2020, bringing her kids from her and her three children from Hong Kong to California and having to adjust to the kids doing remote learning, you know, a Asian hate and harassment, and it just, it was <clears throat> horrible. And the fact that they had to be away from their father, who who was working, and and also, you know, because um, there's Knox, there's his older brother, Knox is 10, I believe. And Bowen, his older brother, which when I saw that, I'm like, oh my goodness. He is, I think, 12 or 14. And little sister Lee, who's six going on seven. She actually, they, I think they move in like mid-March. They think, you know, okay, the the virus is spreading in Hong Kong. Let's go to California where they have a house there that was left by, you know, their dad's mom who had passed away. So they do have a house and everything. It's just adjusting to new schooling where in Hong Kong it was very, the schooling was rigorous. They didn't really know what to do with Knox and his ADHD. They called him lazy. They said, oh, you don't want to learn. You're not trying hard enough. And when Knox has to transfer to public school, when they get to California, he is blessed, hashtag blessed, with a teacher that is very understanding and is well aware. She does have other kids in the class that are suffering from ADHD from this disability and Knox makes him his very first best friend he, Christopher who also has ADHD and he is taking medication for it Knox even asked Christopher like oh can I have one of your pills and Christopher says no because not all ADHD medication works for everybody just because it works me, for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Also, shortly after arriving in California, Knox's mom thought she would be able to work remotely. She's a banker and also deals in real estate. Unfortunately, her employer had to cut her loose. Like, hey, it's not going to work out. So now she's also unemployed and there's no health insurance. So she's very, the kids, please, please, please be careful. Do not get hurt. So, also, Christopher's mother and father own a restaurant that has recently been dealing with Asian hate due to people don't want to order from them. Like, oh, you've been using your hands to make this. Yeah, somebody comes in, places an order for a lot of food, a lot of some type of, it was like mushu pancakes. And when Knox and his mom and brother and sister come in there to, you know, place an order, they see this guy saying, oh, you use your hands to make these pancakes? Well, I don't want them. Like, over $200 of food that has already been made. So the guy's just like, well, I don't want it. I'll go somewhere else. So he, this guy, the customer leaves. And Knox's mom says, you know what? I will take that order and I will pay the $200. So, yeah. Christopher and his parents are really struggling with the restaurant, and I love how Knox really, really helps. Like, 
oh, you know, maybe if customers aren't coming in, maybe we can do DoorDash. Unfortunately, DoorDash is expensive to use for, they require like a 30% cut of your your sales and stuff like, you know, your, your business and all that. So it's just, and also there's a nice elderly gentleman that lives down the way from Knox and his family who, you know, he doesn't get to see his grandkids all the time. And I like how Bowen is really, he's tech savvy. So he's like, let me help you with your internet. Let me help you, you know, that way you can get on zoom and connect with your grandkids who are like in another state. And the thing is with with Knox is he is very with with his ADHD he has trouble focusing staying on task, and he tends to get himself in trouble. Like he brings a soccer ball to school and kicks it over a fence because these kids they're playing with Christopher Knox. They're like oh we're gonna play coronavirus tag and you're it because you're Chinese. And Knox actually stands up for Christopher, like, no, we're not doing that. And Knox gets so angry, he kicks a soccer ball over a wire fence, which is, or it's your regular chain leak fence that's pretty high up. And the teacher comes out, the principal comes out, oh, they're so angry. And the thing is, his mom, Knox's mom, had an interview that day for a job. She had to leave early. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling the book, guys. But she had to come in early to come to the principal's office. So, yeah, unfortunately that job wasn't going to work out. If you got to leave early because your kid's been called to the principal's office. Yeah, so not to mention <laughs> Bowen and Knox have to share a bedroom, which, you know, they're sharing bunk beds, and it's just like, ugh. Older brothers and little brothers, it's just, I don't know, I, I was the younger sibling, so I was like, yeah, with my sisters, like, yeah, I knew I could be annoying, and I know you had to watch me all the time, and stuff like that, and I know it was hard, but, um, you know, overall, the book is amazing, and, um, <clears throat> yeah, he, he, not to, they have to leave their dog behind, you know, in Hong Kong, they can't bring the dog with. Because, you know, his dad's got to stay there. Well, one of them, you know, they got to have an income, you know? they got to have an income. And the kids are trying to, like, raise money to get $3,000 for a ticket to fly their dad over. And it's just... It, it, I, I'm just going to stop right there, guys. I don't want to spoil the whole book. But it's an amazing, beautiful book. I really flew through it. I gravitated to the characters big time. Um, I did read front desk I think that was a few years ago and I'm just kind of holding off on rereading it because I do have the other two books because there's a fourth book coming which I might have mentioned earlier in this podcast episode um so I'm gonna wait until fall when the fourth book comes out so that way I can you know read them all together so yeah so that is gonna be I'm gonna conclude the review here this is my winter reads and in I think at the end of May, before we get into June and summertime, I'll do what I've been reading for March, April, and May. Well, the rest of March, all of April, and all of May. So, <clears throat> my voice is already sounding crackly, and I have barely podcasted. <laughs> so, alright guys, I hope maybe you find some good reads with what I've read so far this year in 2022. And I will be back at the end of... 
May with my spring books that I've read. So have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.